Welcome to the Ether. Today is Tuesday, August 30th, 2022. Today on the Ether, part one of a two part C Fi Lunk Dow space on some Lunk project updates. Let's take a listen. Hey, gang, good evening. TTLG, who's behind your mic today? Or Jay or whoever, hop up and we can chill for a bit. Can you guys actually hear me? Throw some emojis or something. <laughs> I can't tell if I'm talking to myself or what. Hi, Siffy. All right, what you been up to? <laughs> Chilling, mate. What about yourself? I think the uh, last time good. we Just... spoke was the freaking Lunkdow space. My God. Yeah, so the most important space. Um... <laughs> mate, that was the first time I I joined that space and I was gobsmacked. I was like, shit, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> did you have plenty of fun or was it stup- too stupid for you <laughs> no i i just raised my i just requested to speak like as soon as i joined as i have now and you said oh rect v rect v please come and tell us about your emotions and i was like fuck whatever i got myself into and i just had to talk shit for like five minutes <laughs> oh it's a lot of fun <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, hey, Syax there. And uh, yeah, we got some folks on uh, Department 77. What are you guys up to lately? Uh, yeah, maybe some of these guys can hop on and if they have, are free. And I want to try to get some project updates, see where what people are doing, um, what kind of cool shit's happening in the world today. Um, you know, whatever. <laughs> now, to be honest, I think in terms of NFTs, it's all about youths right now. It's just the yeah. madness everywhere. Yeah, I was talking to some uh, youth people or whatever about their little list and all, <clears> and uh, they seem to create they they've created a nice little like viral marketing campaign concept where you know you know they got people to apply for their thing and you know a group of guys were trying to convince me to apply for the youths uh, whatever what do you call it a scholarship or some shit yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, did you do all that stuff, or did, or did you like just pass up that whole thing? No, I I did apply, but at the same time, the thing is, I, I don't even have enough dust to mint that shit. So even if I get it, which I doubt right now, I I don't have enough uh, money to even mint it. So no point. How? Oh, the the mint price has gone crazy, or what? Yes, I mean for them it's not crazy because uh, the mint is in dust. Dust is a native d gods ecosystem token um they get dust they they earn dust whenever they stake um i think it's significantly halved right now but the mint price is 375 dust if you convert it into usd right now i think that would be around 1100 or even more than that dollars so 
for them, it, for 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 the OG D gods holders, it's it was free. It was just a staking reward, and they probably have thousands of dust just there in their wallet. But for new people, it's a lot. So what you're saying is everyone that has dust already is basically just a big ass shill cartel, uh, you know, like convincing everyone else to buy stuff. Yeah, I mean, and plus the the thing is, it's the cool kids club right now. You've got, I mean, I sent a tweet out yesterday. It's just funny, and I actually find it ridiculous how project founders are leaving their own PFPs, their own projects PFPs, and they they're using the dead gods or the youths PFP. And I'm I'm just thinking this doesn't really reflect nicely on you and what you think about your own project. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't followed this whole thing too close, but these little like viral campaigns tend to pop up out of nowhere, right? Every few months. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, what I think is it's just things that happen in cycles in NFTs. There's always these cycles. Uh, a project isn't always going to be on top. They're, 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 they are definitely going to come down. Yeah. It's like whatever you can memeify gets memeified. Um, it's kind of like what Elon says. Like if you, if the, you know, for a few months, it's like, let's put, um, you know, um, you know, a penis on something's head and then like, that's a new NFT. And then there's like the next three months, it's like, um, it's like the, like kind of the, the DJ and, you know, crypto thing with apes and whatnot. And the next time it's like, you know, whatever, it's just kind of, uh, making whatever is kind of cool or sexy, uh, kind of viral for a while and kind of go that route. Um, you know, it's interesting though. Uh, it hasn't gone the route yet. I don't know the the like. It's very interesting how the NFT space has moved differently than the Web 2.0 like internet. In terms of like, in on the internet, like the big killer product turned out to be porn, right? Like that was like like half the internet uses porn, and like half the traffic is porn. And like until streaming movies and video came along, like. A substantial portion of the bandwidth and the server space was just, you know, pictures of people doing shit to each other. And then like, but in the, in the crypto NFT space, um, that sort of like thing hasn't really fully emerged. And like the existing, um, I don't know how many people that are existing in that kind of like, you know, the porn industry or whatever you want to call it, you know, I wonder how many of those people moved into the NFT space and are kind of, capitalizing on their skill set to you know sell shit to people i don't know it's interesting uh, it's interesting that that hasn't emerged as a big thing yet in crypto just because we know sex sells right so that's it's fascinating how that hasn't played out i thought it would have been sooner Sophie, firstly i want to say uh, i can tell that you've been spending too much time in the lunkdown spaces yeah you can't even tell the difference <laughs> when i'm being serious when i'm fucking around now right yeah that's the no. problem I remember the spaces pre lunkdown and I remember, <laughs> and I'm aware of them post lunkdown. Um, no, no, you're right. I mean, in NFTs, we do have the crypto waifus and everything, but I mean, th there is still that waifu buying culture and everything. But no, it's not something that people seem to be interested in. I have come across a few projects in which there's, uh, uh. I, I, again, the adult industry workers who are utilizing their uh, NFTs or NFT projects to sell things, but it's not 
it's not something that does great because uh, I guess most of the people in NFTs are are, are in this space to make money, not I, really. I think, not yeah, for there's, there's, there's it's that. It's not but, for pleasure. Yeah, there's that's that's probably true, but also like you'll notice, um, um, like on movies now, um, it's it's like sex scenes have gone down big time. Like the eighties, nineties, that was kind of pretty. Um, you know, reasonably popular and a movie would come out periodically and, you know, there'd be some sort of like on-screen sex scene of some kind. And, you know, that was kind of like a thing, but now it's like, I guess um, people get their porn for free or whatever. So they don't give a fuck about like seeing that on screen. Um, (laughs) And they can sell more shit to a brighter audience, not having to put those things in. So ultimately it's like, um, you know, um, it's this kind of weird, like a, a trend shift, but it doesn't seem like there's been a extraordinary amount of monetism that, uh, you know, that industry into crypto, uh, at least not for like the highest, most viral projects and stuff. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Because I guess uh, these, the projects that go viral and that do these things have to appeal to all kind of or all kinds of audiences and if you have a project that associated with pornography or something you're not really gonna you're not really gonna post that or use that if you're doxxed or you're not really gonna tell your wife or your kids or someone else that this is something that i've bought for uh, oh tens, yeah like i made, I made like mad money on penis yeah it's yeah not, yeah because a lot can't of, brag about it Definitely. And plus, the thing is that a lot of the times when people buy NFTs, uh, they say that this is I'm I'm buying this for my kid or this this is my this is my child or something like that. I'm thinking of it as a long term investment. And if you're talking about uh, pornography, well, yeah, like in this case, in your case, you'd you'd have to like you'd have to know what porn your kids are going to watch like 15 years (laughs) save that for them. Right. Like. And like it might not be as interesting fifteen years from now as it is to you or whatever. Yeah, I'm not even gonna comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey guys, so anyway. I think I think um what you're talking about will happen when the metaverse actually gets hold of us. Well like what what do you foresee? What do you well, first of all, what do you foresee what do you want the metaverse to be for you? Um, for me personally, I like nature and stuff and I like the real world. So I don't really plan on living in the metaverse, to be honest. Anyway, I think there is a huge you, market. You like, you like we trees all, and like flowers like trees and trees like... and, and birds and animals and okay, stuff like all that. Right. Anyway, um, I like the internet as well. And I grew up with gaming and stuff like that. Right. So I know the whole point about digital assets and because Back in the day, you know, I was playing a video game and I would be paying paysafe cards to buy some, I don't know, swords or stuff like that. And basically that's what the old, like what the metaverse is about, right? Or and and games are about, like and NFTs as well. Actually having digital goods that are valued in real life money. So um and I think as soon as like metaverses would be very common and accepted and well populated, I would say um, at that point, love always would play a role as well. Right. And then 
you would have all these kind of things you were talking about. Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, but yeah, I mean, metaverse stuff is sort of like just another way to monetize sort of like entertainment and labor and creativity. I, I don't know that, uh, the, the basic math is sort of the same and the other thing is like uh there comes a point after which like you know do you have a pendulum swing and people are like yourself are like wait a minute i like the real world better like why would i pay for this when the real world is free and has like interesting shit like butterflies and like leaves and you know stuff like that <laughs> so it, it it uh i think it depends on uh yeah, I, I suspect it'll like this pendulum will swing over and over again. But, but that's the thing: uh, people don't think the real world is cool even now. When we're when we're not even in the metaverse, and people think that um, these uh, animal cartoon JPEGs are much cooler or much better than the real world, and they choose to spend most of their day with with, with these with people who are using these cartoon JPEGs on the internet as opposed to spending time out in nature and they're just talking about the randomest shit ever. Yeah, so what you're saying is people are more interested in profile pics than like, say, like, you know, a Charles Charles Darwin original nature manual or some shit, right? Like they're not <laughs> they're not reading uh they're not reading uh like things about the real world but they're interested in like the latest uh how to get into the youth's application you know so they can get uh the the latest greatest you know fun nft i don't know it's uh but these kinds of like uh social club ideas have been around forever though i think it's just an extension of that exactly it's the association of ponzi with it Uh, because Essentially, a lot of these uh, crypto projects and NFT projects are Ponzi's. The the whole idea is that I bought it for X amount. I'm going to shill it to X person. I'm going to sell it to him higher, get my exit liquidity, and then he's going to do the same thing. Yeah, but it's it's Uh, sort of like who cares? It's like but uh, but aren't aren't stocks then a Ponzi as well? Or or just like the lottery or going to like Las Vegas or whatever. You you know that the house is going to win. Um, but people like to have fun and throw their money at it anyway. So some of it, I think, is entertainment. Some of it's degenerate gambling, you know, degenerate gambling, or whatever. But uh, you know, it's th- yeah. There's, there's just some a ton of ways to have fun, basically. <laughs> but uh, hey, TTLG, you there? Uh, I don't know if you're like. Hey, what's up, Sebi? What's going on? Who, which which one of you is behind the mic today? <laughs> it's it's Ryan today. How you been, man? Good, good. What you been up to? Uh, just uh, these past couple of weeks, just uh, kind of been watching this whole uh, Luna Classic thing unfold, just getting ready for it all, for the upgrade and everything. And, uh, you know, we got consensus on it, so it's great to see. Glad uh, the chain's running smooth. I think there's a couple little hiccups as far as redelegations right now, um, but I know the Rebels are working on it, so uh, hopefully that'll get fixed. But, yeah, it's been a... Who, successful who, upgrade uh, so far who are the rebels and like i haven't talked to them directly but who, what are they doing uh what's the what's their vision and uh like give us the the lowdown about what's happening here 
Uh, so as far as the rebels, it's basically just a group of kind of lunatics that have come together uh, over the course of time with the whole collapse uh, back in May. Um, they're obviously not like a full time group. They're a collective uh, group of, you know, working individuals uh, that I guess have a, enough bandwidth between them all that are able to work on the project full time. Obviously, we just enabled the staking on Luna Classic, which is uh, great. And the next step in their process is the 1.2% burn on all transactions within the network. So I believe that uh, should be going live somewhere around September 12th from the uh, last indications I got. And I guess their whole vision is basically to revive the whole Luna Classic network, promote uh, projects within the network. Obviously, uh, us as a validator, it's just one network that we're on. Um, we also have the V2 network. But, uh, you know, it's something we've supported through the thick and thin of this whole collapse. And uh, we're just here to basically support everything moving forward with the network. So uh like like the pitch to the like general public uh for luna classic is what like we rebuild this thing we get it to work and then just like come hang around fuck around with us like what's the what's the like developing narrative happening in the background like what do people want to do with it um there's been talks of people that have you know obviously want to build on the network there's there's obviously kind of this yo-yo effect in the sense that uh obviously v2 there's some funding within v2 so um us as ttlg we obviously supported the network before the collapse we we are just basically supporting the network as a validator um so basically uh running blocks on the blockchain for everybody if uh you're not kind of familiar with what that means as far as the whole rebels, I mean, I think they want to make this a full-time thing. I know there's been talks about us as validators uh, having collective rewards amongst all the validators that help pay for the, the rebels. Cause obviously this is kind of like a pro bono thing for them um, with support. of yeah, TFL. So far, I think, I think there's free. a proposal up right now, uh, which is probably going to pass um, that. Terror Rebels is going to get that paid by um, 1% tax of withdrawal of staking rewards. So I know it's been deposited, but it hasn't. Uh, let's see. Let me just double check. Yeah, I know it's been deposited on. It's not in voting yet. So once it passes the, the deposit phase, then it would move on to the voting phase. But Terra, Terra Rebels is who, like a credible, credible group of developers or these ex, uh, you know, TFL people? Like, who are we talking about? Are these ex-members of other projects or something? Uh, so ERK, I don't know if you guys are in the Terra Rebels Discord or anything like that. I think his uh, handle is ERK286. He's kind of been leading it, and, and he's basically been in touch with TFL. And he's supported, obviously, all the devs. There, there, there's only been really um, a couple lines of code that was changed in the implementation. The big thing with this whole upgrade was the auditing phase of this. And as you can see, we, we do have like a couple little hiccups. Um, 
within the lunt network right now as as far as like what i talked about earlier with the redelegations so eric he's the guy that's basically leading the rebels um in terms of all the devs i haven't talked to all the devs personally obviously ttlg there's more than just myself um gorgie primarily handles all all that i just figured i'd jump on because i saw you up here but uh yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting group. They're obviously pretty dedicated uh, to the network, and they got TFL support, which is a big deal because we as a group were kind of on the fence of whether TFL would even support the network, right? Because of the whole collapse and, you know, the the aspect of, uh, you know, potentially TFL being sued, yada, yada, yada. I don't want to go into details with that, but that's that's kind of where we're at. Cool. Um, yeah, the uh, um, it what's you know so the the my general kind of mm, like issue in the cosmos is um, you know as more cosmos chains emerge and the attention of people who want to be validators kind of jumps all over the place. Um, before we get something like interchain security. Um, are we just simply fragmenting to the point where, you know, the system as a whole or maybe individual app chains and everything become sort of unmarketable? Like what you, you guys have, like your YouTube channel and everything. Like if, if you think about how, um, you know, companies have been marketing the last 10 years, like in the traditional space, right. you know, people have really, really honed down like what they produce into one little thing that's easy to put into a literally a single web page, you know, landing page and to describe what it is that they do and um, like what the value proposition is. And I think for maybe a really useful app chain, that's obvious. For L1s, if you have just like infinite numbers of L1s, you know, it just, it makes me wonder whether um, like there's a bullish case for say investing in an l1 as opposed to being a validator on one or something like that so uh, i don't know don't, like where do you see you think, the economics going with all, with all this shit don't you think it's similar to the dot-com crisis like when the internet started there were plenty of web pages and stuff like that right and um at some point it all blew up right so where do you see that well yeah that's so that, the that's a good point yeah, the um, dot com situation was kind of like the the problem with dot com was there was a major speculative bubble um, with the media putting attention on a whole lot of you know uh, companies and then there was a lot of kind of so sort of when like when you're rich on one stock you're willing to gamble on another stock so there's some of that like um, effect that happens in a sense w when these bubbles happen in the general stock market but back in the the Nasdaq bubble. You know, you had lots of companies that were good that went into a bubble, like the price of, say, Apple and, you know, IBM or whatever went up really high, way higher than they should be based on their, like, you know, common metrics like price earnings and whatnot. Then you had just complete nonsense things like you know, uh, the pets.com at the time, you know, uh, you know, eventually those short URL websites most of the four-letter, five-letter, six-letter URL websites have been able to monetize on that. So they actually did make money. 
Now, were they like investable from the perspective of floating a stock? Not really. Was it a good investment if you were a buyer? Not really. Um, today, like when you go to buy like an Apple phone or a Google phone, you know, most users have no freaking clue what the operating system does or doesn't do. Hell, like, you know, if you're not paying really close attention, you probably don't even know what the, even if you use like Apple or Google, you probably don't even know what the latest, you know, updates of the, the operating system might be, right? Like, oh, you know, there's a bunch of features and shit that you eventually, years later when you're checking the settings, you're like, oh, the phone does that now? And someone's like, yeah, it does, it's been doing that for three years, you know, welcome to the, you know, 2003 or whatever. So, you know, those kinds of things, you know, you get these bubbles and then they drag on and then eventually things reach you know what are worth now there's a graph out there and i forget what the name of it is um but it looks at innovation cycles and what oftentimes happens is there's a mega bubble that happens way too early then there's a mega crash that undervalues everything way too low so things are you know, un you know undervalued and then you get um you know and then the timing of those two things the initial jump the initial crash could be 10 years or 20 years before what ends up being something that becomes way bigger than the even the initial bubble itself, right? That's typically the the nature of um, sort of bubbles. And, you know, there's a few companies that go through that, like your Apples and your Googles, you know, you know, during the dot-com era that ended up coming out of it like a big fiery phoenix and just, you know, kicking ass. Um, a majority of the time, those bubbles lead to in, on individual companies, not market sector bubbles, but individuals usually leads to just like they go up, people speculate, and then they die. Um, I think Warren Buffett, you know, you know, kept wondering why Bitcoin did this. And um, oh shit, I forget the name of the guy. He's like a, a TA trader um, who's well known for kind of describing the, the repeated bubbles of Bitcoin and why that works. But I think uh, I'm not so concerned about BTC and its bubbles and its ability to store value at this point. Um, from just from a pure mathematical store of value part of the thing, forget about the tech, but on the app chain sector, like the cosmos based chains, you know, my worry is, is that what ends up happening is, is that you wind up like thousands of useless chains, maybe that don't do anything much, don't make any real money and sort of just create market confusion. And then what we're going to end up doing is just basically shoot ourselves all in the foot by having so, a bunch, so, bunch of shit so that nobody you, actually has a story around. Don't you think we need that flushing out event for the cryptosphere? Yeah, the flushing out's good. Um, and I think, you know, the more the merrier to the, for, to the extent that, like, the more, um, you know, organisms are an ecosystem, like, it, it creates a role for a natural death process to take place. You know, the normal, like, you know, a natural selection of you know the useful things emerging but if you look at your app store as a great example go to your google play or your apple app store or whatever and you'll find that um you know there's like maybe a hundred apps that you might choose to use and something like you know whatever you know fifty thousand apps that you're never going to touch or you know are not even particularly any good and you're not even sure if they're particularly safe or uh useful or whatever right like so product discovery even like I, I think all of us find this to be true. Like there could be an amazing game that you're going to just freaking love somewhere deep in the the bowels of the Apple App Store uh, or whatever, and you are are having a hard time with discovery 
Uh, it's the same thing that happens with music, right? Like imagine, remember the days when you used to go into like a music store and they'd have like 12 inches or they'd have like CDs or whatever, you know, tapes. Uh, originally, like stores would, would market very specific things and those would become big and those would be big on the radio. And like, if you think back to 80s music, like you have an 80s channel going on, probably half of us could sing half the songs in that fucking thing, right? Like we all remember the songs. Today, the difference is you have a whole shit ton of music on, on let's say your apple music or spotify or whatever but like you and me could probably barely recognize each other's music that we like right so it's come to the point where it's so decentralized that there is no actual community like there's no rallying point and i think that's the the cause so it's of basically that I have. fragmented yeah it's just or it becomes infinitely fragmented at some level right you know that there's shit on apple music that probably no one's listened to like there's so much stuff on there like where they've had like three listens or whatever and they're not making any money on that track right so it's discovery is hard for the end user and the more blockchains you have and the more apps you have and more DeFi shit that's going on it becomes harder and harder and what ends up happening is you end up gravitating toward the trusted networks meaning the ones that like the more people that have been a lot around longer, more people have used. And eventually you're like, OK, I can trust my money there. Good example of this happens in traditional finance with like, all right, like you might put, you know, get your insurance with Northwestern Mutual because they've been around for a really long time. You might put your money with Fidelity because they've never lost anybody's money or whatever. Right. So trust ends up being a factor when you have obfuscation through mass. So when you have way too many chains then the problem of which one you can trust becomes a real problem. And um, how does your chain develop that trust besides the usual shilling and shit? That's the, the hard part. And, and the, the message gets lost is what I'm saying. Well, we can all trust Luna Classic, so we're all good. <laughs> and that's, that's yeah. also something that's tricky about the blockchain in general and proof-of-stake networks, uh, you know, Obviously, we're in the validator business. So for us, you know, it's kind of like picking stocks in the sense that like, you know, which one is going to come out victorious. Right. So that's a a portion of the business that that we see is uh, that is very selective in the sense that we have to envision uh, the future of let's say cosmos in general like which projects on cosmos are going to prevail you know say three to five years from now versus obviously there's some meme uh meme projects on there like i think umi uh just to name a few but in the sense uh i like to think about validating as kind of like the inception of the internet in the sense that like okay if you designed a website Back in the dot com era, that's kind of where we're at in the sense of these projects popping up on proof of stake networks. You know, which which ones are going to be there in the future? Which ones are going to be phishing websites? Which which ones are going to be you know scam websites? It's the same kind of scenario here. So hopefully that can help paint a picture for everybody and the how all these proof of stake networks uh, work because it's a tricky business for us and trying to determine. Uh, you know which ones are viable for people that delegate with us is your is your uh uh is your validator on um luna classic for example is is it like breaking even now with the staking re-enabled or uh, uh like so right now we're at we're at zero percent commission um and basically 
we already ran the infrastructure before the collapse. So we've already set up, uh, we already have everything set up as far as the bare metal and all, all the whole network. So okay. from a cost perspective, our, our initial big cost, um, that was at the start. Now we're maintaining the network. Obviously there's a normal operating costs associated with that, but we are going to run 0% commission, uh, I don't know exactly how long we're going to run it for. Um, that's more of a collective TTLG internal discussion, but uh, we are offering 0% right now. So yeah, talk, we are talk, not making any money. Talking about 0% commission and the 0% commission game, tied for voting power. How do you see uh, the game going on and in respect to decentralization of the blockchain? Yeah, the zero percent game. We've, I think, we've done a video on that too. If you guys want to check it out, it's probably one of the most recent videos on our YouTube channel. Uh, me personally, I don't, I don't see an issue with it. Uh, you know, it's it's free market, so validators can do what they want to do. And if we want to vote on, let's say, so what's your your incentive for uh, doing a zero percent commission? Um, is mainly to acquire uh, people that validate with you. Uh, Delegators. For, 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 I'm delegated, I'm sorry. I'm de delegate with you. It, but it's only for, um, you, your primary purpose is mainly for what? Just increasing your voting power at this point? Like what is your, what is the goal right. of the group? Obviously we've been with, uh, you know, we talk about the Luna Classic Network before there was no just Terra Luna. So uh, it's kind of strange for me to refer to it as Luna Classic now, now. but um, obviously before it increases visibility for us, obviously we're not going to stay at 0% forever um, because we do have operating costs. And for us, it's visibility, right? And we want to support the network. We've, we've said we've supported the network and we supported either way uh, as far as the validators, if they were going to stay with the old code or upgrade to the new Terra Rebels code, the community vote, and they wanted to go with the Terra Rebels code. So we upgraded to the new code um, based off the community vote. So we're just basically supporting the network at this point. It's, it's tough to say exactly where Luna Classic will evolve to. Obviously, there's a lot of talks about burning Luna, um, which I discussed earlier, we obviously have the 1.2% burn that's going to be implemented next month in September. So um, that's our stance. It's, it's mainly a visibility thing um, for us, since I believe we are top 10 at this point. Um, but we just want to show our support for the network, right? I mean, uh, we've, we've been through the thick and thin. We've obviously, between the whole TTLG, TTLG team, we've lost, you know, obviously a ton of money in the whole collapse. So, uh, you know, we've already invested the money, so there's no reason for us to leave now. Hmm. Yeah, talk, talking about the 1.2 tax burn, um, I would be very cur curious about your thoughts on what the right parameter would be for that. Obviously, it's voted through and um, there should and must be a tax burn implementation, but the parameter hasn't been set yet, right? And there's, there's also going to be a parameter change op option. So uh, what do you think would be the right parameter 
to choose um, to not plummet the transaction volume on the chain. Like as far as what would good percentage be in terms of the uh, burn tax? Is that what you're asking? Yes, like a a percentage basically that is not going to um, decrease the transaction volume significantly. I mean, if you think about it, 1.2%, I mean, let's say you're in the U.S. and you go to the grocery store, I mean, you're typically spending, you know, 7% in other countries, you know, they have VAT taxes and it's usually higher than that. So I don't think even 1.2% is really going to do anything to the transaction volume. Yeah. Actually, if you look at the credit card networks, um, they provide a little bit of reference for this, right? So you're spending, uh, as a business, you're spending uh, money on like, uh, you know, anybody that buys some stuff at your business on a Visa or MasterCard, the business might be paying, you know, somewhere like two to 3% fee per transaction to Visa and MasterCard. They're not pocketing all of that. They give back in loyalty rewards points so they can do their own marketing to you know people that swipe the cards and then um uh if you look at the aggregate uh if you say okay a, a typical card has a one to two percent some sort of cashback rewards rate and then you have um you imagine the price of the goods you're buying are going up by let's say three percent like if you're going to buy a cheeseburger you know nobody's going to sell you that cheeseburger for free they're adding the cost of the, the taxes so to speak, into the cost of the burger. So you ba- you basically get, you're paying more there, but you're getting some of it back in cashback rewards. And at the end of the day, what does Visa, whoever pocket, I don't know, maybe it's 1%, maybe it's one and a half, whatever. Uh, but that's probably the, the closest model. Um, and I bet you like they have done a crazy amount of tuning on those fees to get the right balance uh, between uh, their own profitability and what the public is going to tolerate in terms of, or regulators tolerate for that matter, in terms of like that tax. And when the Apple did this shit with the, like the app store fees, like what, 30% or whatever, uh, I think Europe and such, uh, they're, they're getting into more and more hot water regarding like regulators, you know, considering that that's too much of a premium for the sort of like, you know, the, the, the developer to be able to sell their wares on those app stores. Uh, but what about what about projects that rely and depend on many transactions? For example, a marketplace that at banks marketplace that would have one transaction for a bid offer on an F- NFT and another transaction on the withdrawal on it that would like plummet the whole transaction volume, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it makes it harder for to do things like composability and kind of sequential transactions without being, uh, without penalizing too much. Although, you know, maybe uh, depending on how you implement such a thing, you know, to some extent that automatically gets baked into the cost of the NFT or whatever. Um, so it it may in the aggregate not matter because it just sort of, uh, for example, if you go and buy yourself some, I don't know, Pokemon cards or something at the local store and you, you, you know, there's a tax on the Pokemon cards or there's a, uh, credit card transaction fee on those. 
all that sort of gets wrapped into the value of the card. It's like all these things are sort of inflationary to the to the value of the, the end result. But yeah, if you're doing something fancy like creating a video game or something with NFTs, there's going to be a lot of transactions going on using your um, using your uh, project. Then that's going to be a problem. So uh, I don't think though that there's a lot of discussion about you know doing anything particularly fancy on the Terra Classic network. In this regard, it's going to require a lot of transactions, although it could be mistaken. Um, oh, LunkDAO is here and probably has uh, some uh, information to provide, hopefully, on our Lunk uh, <laughs> thesis here. Uh, sorry, uh, Sefi, I'm just having a, a shower right now. I've just turned it off. I'm just washing my, my armpits, my, uh, my groin area behind my ears, inside my ears. Um, I'm washing my hair. I'm being very careful not to not to wash it too aggressively because I'm experiencing quite a lot of hair fall lately. Um, the finasteride I'm taking doesn't seem to have reduced the the DHT in my scalp quite yet. I think that takes like two to three months. Um, so if you just let me shower, then I'll join in a bit. Thank you. Yeah, be careful with your hair. I mean, you know, whatever little you have left, you want to preserve that um, to the best of your abilities so that you can be presentable in public. Obviously. Um, so anyway, we didn't get any useful information out of LunkDAO as usual regarding the, um, you know, the direction and the, the achievements that Lunk is going to have. Um, uh, V-Shape, uh, what are you thinking? You're, you're going to, you want, what kind of project do you gonna have happen on the, uh, Luna Classic blockchain that's going to like float your boat? You know, you're going to be like, you're gonna, there's going to be this amazing project that emerges on Terra Classic, and you're going to go all in. You're going to be like, you know, you're like, I'm. Well, I think it's a long, long way to go to have like serious DeFi applications coming back to the chain, because there is some milestones that has have to be hit before that could happen. I guess. First of all, now did did you get in? Did you get in and out of the Luna Classic where you have a lot of classic? Or did you move your assets to Luna V2? Like when you? Uh, well, I obviously got the airdrop. Obviously, I got the airdrop, um, and I've staked that. Um, I've sold a bit on the initial pump, and then rebought and staked again. Um, bought some Astro Port, um, just to like bet on both horses, so to speak. Um, but I am holding a lot of Lunk at the moment because. I see that the community is strong in that sense that um, they're all pulling on the same string and kind of want to get stuff implemented and they push. So, I mean, as long as it takes, basically. And I, I see that really... Well, I made one post today and then yeah, maybe exactly. flies. Yeah, look look and on how many like how much and reach. I got a hundred I got a hundred new followers out of fucking nowhere. I have no idea where they came from. Like they just sort of like yeah, that's that's uh, the loan community I'm talking about. Basically. Yeah, the loan community is a little bit a uh, little bit aggressive, a little bit crazy, right? And um That's what we I, call lunatics. Yeah, they were that's the original lunatics, right? So yeah, I was there. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm watching to see. It's interesting. Like usually, that kind of 
you know, um, crazy uh, engagement usually means something. Um, it's interesting that people sort of just hopped on. Hey, Midas is there. I don't know if he's trying to like re, uh, like make the uh, the original like Lutopians um, come back. I think I had most of my Lutopian created. I think I was missing like the chess piece or the pants or some shit. Um, I got to hit Midas up here about that. Um, to, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if you have an NFT project already on there uh, and it's already functioning, that could become like OG status, right? Maybe maybe not up on that's a good idea. Yeah, definitely. Like Luna Punks, for example. I mean, they're staying on, on Classics. I think they are planning on... on uh, putting out an additional collection on v2 um but yeah i mean luna punks obviously staked all their their funds <clears throat> from the mint um and during the deep pack everything got eliminated basically to zero so uh basically at the moment they are working on uh refilling these funds with a couple of good ideas for example yeah, I'm I'm wondering maybe the right thing to do is take all my Luna yield and then go buy Lunk with it and stake that. What's the staking rate now? Um obviously it's going down because more people are um joining the party and the rewards get split up. Where, um, like, where is it at right now? Approximately uh, six, members? I I think the amount of stake is 6.5 or something, or 6.4, something approximately around that. Uh, looking at it right now, per lunk, it's 490 lunk per year, whatever that equates to. I mean, I mean, it moves so fast, Sefi, it's hard to kind of assess yeah, it's, it's a going down, legitimate though. APR. It's going down, though. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you, you can't really like uh, do the math on it because uh, it's just moving up and down. Right, because that staking increases, obviously APR drops. Yeah, I have, I've just sort of staked it, and I haven't really paid attention. I'm just like, uh, <laughs> just kind of hodling the thing, right? So just whatever. Yeah, but the rewards are still sweet, and I expect them to be sweet for the next couple of weeks, probably. So. Yeah, I mean we're only at six and a half percent staking ratio, so. Yeah, they're they're pretty juicy in terms of the APR right now. So uh, we'll just kind of see where this staking ratio goes in the next uh, coming weeks, especially leading up to the one point two percent burn. What do you think are like the biggest catalysts for um, any kind of ongoing selling, or do you think most of the people who uh, most of the people who own the Luna Classic coin who are going to sell have already just like sold already or whatever? Like, do you think that that attrition has already happened and now it's kind of like no i think it's an ongoing process right people will people stake people are gonna unstake it's gonna take time as price increases if tax burn is successful as people imagine then but if the staking rate's relatively low then that tells me that overall engagement by lunk owners may also be relatively low, meaning that like there's a lot of people who just were like, fuck it, and they just don't even pay attention. They're just basically hodling their coins or assume that they're worthless. My point is, if I'm going to go ape into it right now, <laughs> like maybe it's getting close to the time to do that, maybe. Is what I I'm think we have at. just broken like 
we are at Fibonacci level uh, uh, resistance at the moment, or we have broken through it already. I think it was at three zeros one six Fibonacci we um, resistance. So it would be a good good point if we break that Fibonacci resistance to buy. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think uh, the the probability of upside just from like just you know speculators and degens is pretty high. It's uh, I'm just sort of like debating. Yeah, but you know, but see if how I, much money would, I would you be how, how much the, I want to gamble? <laughs> would you be here for the long run, or would you just be gambling on on the short term? Um. You know, I I haven't seen yet what I what I construe as like an obvious, like the the long term thesis. I think I'm the same as the you know TTLG gang here. Like I, I don't know that I know where where things are going. Um, at the same time, I know when you have a huge group of people who are on a wallet who have access to you know uh, buying the coin, there is a strong probability of you know, pumps and things happening, which, you know, whatever. Um, you know, what I tend to like to do personally is I tend to like to get into chains when they're uh, relatively, you know, the relative price is very, very low. There is some kind of like forming narrative and, you know. Uh, but the market capitalization of uh, Luna is quite low, right? Exactly. Compared, so compared the to the community. Said, You'd want to be able to because your 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 other options, right? You have to think of your opportunity cost. Like, what else could you buy? You you want to in the crypto space with the risk, risk that you're taking, you want to basically position yourself for a credible ten x over like um, a credible ten x over a three year period is probably a good start. Um, if you can do a twenty x or more, like or hundred x, that'd be amazing. Obviously. Um, whenever you can get it but you want to be able to get to a credible 10x and so like i think that's what most people are trying to position for um what do you, you know, consider I, I think cre credible 10x like, credible meaning credible. like the odds that that's going to happen is a good solid like um 80 plus likelihood in my mind that that's going to happen because if the if there's not a high credibility but that's that's based on beliefs right and, yeah and exactly visions. in other words like let's say for example uh, let's just take another coin here, for example. Uh, let's take Ethereum. Do I believe it's going to pull a 10x in, let's say, oh, I don't know, uh, three years? Uh, I think it's possible. I don't think it appears likely just based on where overall market conditions are going. Am I much more likely to make a 10x on Luna Classic? Probably. <laughs> so the thing exactly. is, like, <laughs> it's like if you look at, yeah, market caps and you look at attention and you look at what it takes to move a market to those levels, yeah, you know. So what I mean by credible is, like, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, defy all the forces of nature to get there. Or is there a realistic possibility of that happening? You know, basically, if you have a purely speculative coin, it's entirely based on uh, not on fundamentals, but just on human behavior, uh, which is fine. You know, I'm comfortable with a chain that does nothing like Bitcoin does nothing. Uh, it does nothing but uh, provide a speculative vehicle, a trading vehicle, and it provides you with like some story. Value function, assuming that the validators on a classic, for example, they're going to stick around. Um, so it does concern me, like whether validators are making money. 
Like, I think validators should be making money. Otherwise, I'm worried that like, okay, who's going to validate this thing if, you know, they're not, you know, they have to be making a buck, right? Otherwise, what, who the hell is going to keep the thing alive? What are your thoughts on a deflationary coin like Luna Classic would become if the tax burn gets implemented? What are your thoughts on that? Are, is it beneficial for projects? And if it wouldn't be beneficial, well, right? Because like the floor price would. People have tried this sink. shit. Like people have tried this shit. Like you were asking the question earlier, like uh, what's a credible deflationary mechanism that like is not going to eventually just make everyone run away. Um, we know that like the safe moon project, um, you know, on Binance smart chain, um, was just like, like an awesome Epic shit coin. Uh, it, it did pump really nicely. Uh, it had a 10%, uh, burn, um, on it and 5% would go to all of users of the chain and 5% of it would go to, um, like five percent of it would go to yeah, we have a we have a similar token now on Luna Classic as well. It's called Luna Lulu Lunatics token, I think. Yeah, these things are fun for a little while and if you have enough attention, if you have enough vi virality and like you know uh uh pumping going on, these things can go up. But long term, who's gonna keep coming back to pump these things? And the answer is nobody's coming back to pump these things long term. And this is the problem with those, those types of like these, so, like, utility, artificial... ut so utility is crucial. I agree one hundred percent. So my yeah, question like, is, do you think well, a utility, deflationary utility, token utility, could be there, a deflationary token could that like hinder utility? You you want the utility to be tied directly to the deflationary mechanism. If the deflation is arbitrary it basically is meaningless. Like mathematically, you don't even have to have the deflation. Like I don't even care if the, if the lump gets burned or not. I think at this point, it doesn't matter. The price of the coin, the market cap, it, it is what it is for whatever the number of coins are out there, right? So if you have a community and they can like shill the shit out of the, shit out of the thing and get um, lots of people interested, um, there's no difference between this chain and I don't know, any other chain that does nothing, right? Like. Adam doesn't do anything yet. Like there it is. So I think it's at that point, just simply a matter of like, you know, how uh, enthusiastic and how aggressive long-term is like the shill cartel or whatever the fuck that's going to be talking about this for the next, let's say so three, five, we, 10 years or whatever. Right. I think we have to think about what happens in an economy that has a currency that is deflationary. So what would happen? Obviously, people would sell all their assets and try to hold the currency because it's, I mean, it's beneficial to to hold the currency rather than the assets, right? Yeah. Well, if if you don't have anything else on the platform, like there's no other projects, then yeah, it makes sense to have a deflationary currency tied to some form of utility. This is sort of um, one of the problems like the original Luna UST mechanism was like if Luna is so deflationary, then it becomes the de facto store of value coin, and it has a greater value than all the other inflationary coins that might be uh, sitting around. Now, while UST worked, like that was the one of the few interesting deflationary mechanisms in all of crypto. Like we we like talked a lot. Um, it had a mechanism for deflation that made some sense. Now the fact that the 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 peg got broken that's a wholly wholly different issue in terms of like 
the what happens to these systems when they get sizable enough and they wind up uh, on uh, off-chain uh, monetary activity starts happening, like the ability to long and short things and the ability to, um, uh, you know, like totally go degen on some of the... Uh, the the lending and borrowing that happens with these things. So those elements, like the deflationary mechanism of UST Luna made a lot of sense. Like if you can actually get a system together mathematically that starts to uh, repeg UST, uh, that would be really, really bullish for the uh, Luna Classic ecosystem. Repegging meaning like you get to the point where uh, the demand for UST starts increasing as people find out that, hey, the attempt is going to be made to repeg this thing. I think there, and so people I are going to buy. Pegging, I think it's not that hard to get to a dollar with USTC, but to maintain that dollar, right? That's also what Do Kwan Yeah, no, but I don't think we'll have to maintain it. I think what will happen is, is on-chain, uh, it's not that difficult to maintain peg. U UST Luna did a great job until... Um, and attempts were made to like you know expand Luna off chain and all this other shit, right? Like on chain, the 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 network worked perfectly fine. The pegging pegging mechanism worked quite well in the grand scheme of things. Um, and if you kind of um, you know add some, oh, see now look look at Bruce. He's like making little throwing little kisses and shit shit from the shower. Are you done showering or? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I decided to take two showers. I did one for the the um, the dirt on my body, and I'm going to do another one now for my sins. Uh, so, listen, um, stop, stop jerking off in the shower, and then like trying to clean all that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, question for you, Seppi. Um, with all of your knowledge, with all of your in in the monkey custom, and your brain, and your medical knowledge, and everything like that. Uh, what do you think is the best way to re to recollateralize USTC? Like, how how would you do it personally? Um, what do you what are you thinking right now? I know a lot of different people have put together different proposals, um, different ways of doing it. How would you do it? Uh, well, I think uh, the s simplest approach would be basically to reenact number one the just reenact the original uh, mint burn mechanism A and uh, B with anything like the, the first mistake of the the i guess stable coin uh like uh world whether it's tether whether it's whatever is that the uh collateralization uh creates artificial boundaries where you really can't scale stable coins um to any kind of like one to any kind of serious mass adoption here, that's not even that relevant. We don't have to accomplish that to get there. But the problem with collateralizing is that it creates sort of like this um, like anchor on a, a ship or whatever. It just drags it along because think about this. Like, let's say you are the Tether Corporation or, you know, you know, Circle or whatever that runs USDC. Like, what incentive do you have to um, park a lot of money or cash um, and not actually make money on the, the, the uh, let's say, $100 billion or let's say a trillion dollars. How many of you are going to park it? If you had it to, to sit there, are you going to park $100 trillion or a trillion dollars somewhere and not use it for anything except to call it collateralize a stable coin? I don't know about that. Like, it's not really clear there's a business model for that in the long range view. Like, you can understand it when, like, the Federal Reserve or, you know, a central bank prints money because they can just print out of thin air. That's a little bit different. 
but to take existing money subject to the force of inflation and then like use that as collateral for some sort of stable coin just seems like a superfluous noise. Like, I, I don't think it solves anything. Um, and I, so I think uh, continuing to attempt like hyper local algorithmic stable coins where you and me can reasonably be confident that uh, within, say, the Kujira chain or within Luna Classic or Luna or whatever, like within those small chains that you could have uh, a stable coin that worked to solve at least your immediate uh, problem of needing a stable store uh, of value for a while. Uh, mm. I don't think you need to promise that it's going to so, like say a dollar necessarily. I think it sort of gets there automatically with the algorithm. Um, so long as like you stay on chain only, uh, you don't make any problem off chain. So is it possible or beneficial to, to prevent UST or USTC to move off chain basically, or prevent, prevent any ex centralized exchanges of holding any UST? I think what ends up having to happen is, let's say, like each uh, blockchain creates its own stablecoin. I think ultimately the 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 pact that has to be created, like a little pact with the devil or whatever, is somehow IBC has to be the arbiter to say um, it is the final place where you can get remittance. Meaning, if I have something that um, the community on Cosmos believes is a credible stablecoin, I should be able to for sure convert that one-to-one -one with any other stable coin and the system guarantees it through um through the transactions via ibc so but there, that's when, there it gets, are... when it gets messy right what's that that's when it gets messy and that's that was one of the major yes. points of the collapse that the on-chain swap function couldn't like... yeah decentralized Basically, decentralized stable coins are going to need decentralized, if you're going to collateralize it, decentralized collateral, and they're going to need decentralized remittances. You're not going to be able to rely on, like, let's say just a Coinbase or a Binance or some shit. You need to have at least, uh, probably at least, you know, 50 to 100 places you can remit for full one to one cash value dollar um, it, to start looking like uh, reasonably. Uh, decentralized remittance platform. Without that, there's just too much fuckery that goes on, and we've seen how that plays out over numerous stablecoins. I, I agree, years. but it's hard to implement, I guess. It is hard to implement, yes. So that's the hard problem to solve, and and maybe nobody solved it, right? Sefi, do you think we could? Uh, do you think it's viable to turn back on the the mint burn burn mechanism at some point? And uh, second question is, what do you think would be required to get to that point? Um, because you hinted at it earlier. I guess the validators simply have to be the ones that will uh, ultimately support the uh, resumption of that mechanism. I, I guess my first question is like for someone that is in the know, like what would happen if you reinstated the previous mechanism and just see what happens to it, right? Like is it is it mathematic? Is it a point where mathematically it has to be tuned where it's impossible to um, repeg using that with the current supply? Or is it feasible that just given time the uh, the system yeah. just heals itself? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. It's it's also yeah, and it's yeah, it's quite interesting in a lot of ways, right? It's it's almost as if as well, like everyone's like idea of of, of using a stablecoin anymore. So there's going to be like less less pressure to make it move downwards. Um, I also think it would just be an amazing uh, like story. Imagine how baffling, how mysterious, how amazing it would be 
if it just goes back to one. <laughs> I think it's like, uh, like <laughs> exactly. It's, more, it's even more powerful than than Vitalik's dick, right? Like in terms of like a bull market catalyst. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, like who would have who would have thought that Vitalik's um, you know uh, engorged uh, shaft move the market, right? Like. If that's all it took, right? We could just take pictures of uh, you in the shower, for example. Maybe post it on Twitter periodically, and then next thing you know, you could move the lunk price, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it'd be amazing. Um, and I also think it might have to go that route eventually. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and I also think, as you say, um, if if there seems to be an attempt or some kind of news or um, maybe an algorithm uh, proposal to be to be reimplemented, then people would just start buying the shit out of UST, like expect go up right well that's yeah, that's what i'm saying that's what i'm gonna do so we'll see how that plays out like yeah it makes sense to like <laughs> ust is cheap enough that it makes sense to probably speculate on it if you assume that the uh that mm. the community is going to move towards uh isn't there much more upside potential for lunk than for ustc because what? i think at current prices of ustc we have like three cents i think and it will only go up to a dollar, so that would be like fifty x at most. Most. Yeah, it's a good. With so, so good point. I think you just have to ask, like, like what, what is the, I don't know, like, like how much of the ecosystem would work again if you managed to get USD back to one dollar? Um, what would be healed? What would be repaired? Um, what would be functional? What would become possible? Um, how much value would would um, move into the Lunk ecosystem? I think it's a lot. Like, it's, I think it's more than the cost of um bringing it back to one dollar uh like if you're looking at in pure like cost and benefit i think it's more than worth it um and when you add like the narrative component and it's like definitely worth it yeah the the virality we could produce would be impressive <laughs> there's no question hey Noller, what's going on what's happening not much it's been a while yeah good um, hang- good hanging out i i'm, I'm working on a we're almost out of stuff but i'm working on a uh currency project right now um can't say much but when it does i will i will be chatting about it definitely interesting that people are still bringing up stable coins but all i'll say is ryan model is the one that i like the most for long-term success oh yeah cool yeah i think the basically everyone's intuition is they know where cbdc's are going and they sure as fuck don't want to live in that world so then it's like all right well you know, if we have like a partially stable coin or whatever, fuck it, we'll deal with it. <laughs> but uh, like, um, we, we don't really want to be living under that sort of world order. And I, I think the uh, people are going to constantly have this sort of like drive to pre- produce the internet native stable coin one way or the other. Like it's, it's, it's almost like one of those inevitabilities, like a cold fusion or whatever, where it's like, you know, fusion can happen. You just don't know how to figure out how to make it happen at room temperature yet. But you keep working on it and working on it, and um, you know maybe something will emerge. Like Los Alamos two years ago had um, uh, you know f- f- basically a functioning ignition. They just can't figure out how to. Two years later, they can't figure out how to replicate the exact same outcome, which is interesting. So like, <laughs> there's a lot happening. The same thing in quantum computing. You know, there's these interesting new developments that have happened that have made it incredibly much easier to accomplish quantum computing, and um, you know ultimately. I think the world from a freedom perspective needs kind of like the internet native stable coin to be able to flee from wherever the fuck they're, you know, Wasn't that their, like their three, country. Three years ago, already news that 
the USA already made a quantum computer and then they withdrew kind of that news. And that well, would be that would make huge implications for blockchain and the security of it, right? No, I mean they didn't really make shit. Like I know I, I know um a family friend that works for um uh what is it? I think it's I forget which I don't remember if it's Lockheed Martin or whoever, but anyway, the the point is uh, that that like where they are is just most a lot of a lot of the governments and such is more at least more still in semi fuck around stage when it comes to quantum computing. But the but it is it is a risk that should be made aware. Of. Yeah, 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 for sure. But corporates, um, Google and others who are working on systems, IBM and others, like everybody has a project running right now, like DARPA and whatnot. So like plenty of people are running projects. The, uh, but anyway, let's not get too off tangent here. The thing is, what I, but my point is like, there's some things that feel like they're inevitable because they're possible and people want it. Like if UST could work or a stable, another stable coin of some kind can work in some credibly decentralized way that may be broken. Um, I think if that math can emerge, um, you know, fine. I, I, I think what has to happen is, uh, my intuition is that cosmos has to become bigger than, and as an ecosystem than most countries. So once you get to a certain scale, your currency sort of automatically has its own value. Uh, and I think that's what has to happen. Uh, that's my suspicion at least that, um, so if we have like lots of stable coins across the cosmos chains and we can interact with them interchangeably uh, and you can remit them one-to-one and reliably find uh, a one-to-one conversion to whatever you're pegged to. And they're, uh, all, they're all pegged to the, do- well, to the dollar, right? So that's well, one layer of risk. Yeah, your second I, best until you're not second best. Yeah. To that consideration is that any stable coin pegged to any fiat currency means that your your core decision making is dependent on people outside of yourself. I think what needs to be uh, sort of understood, I think this is more of a user thing. And I like is that like you really need to look at it in terms of like your costs. So like if I could tell you reliably, right, like your I'm going to give you a hundred dollars and it's going to deflate 1% a year. Right. And you can borrow against that half a percent per year. Right. Um, or you can borrow against it at 1% a year. Um, then you essentially have a flat system, even though like on the ends, right. You would perceive it like a good thing. Right. Um, the problem is that most people are, viewing it in terms of like us dollar rather than like actual value gained well they view Um, it that way because like if you want to go buy like you know ice cream or you know maybe like um go to the you know like hire a prostitute or you know get a cheeseburger or whatever like you know those people are not taking your particular coin they're expecting to be paid in the in in a stable and they're not looking at your frame of reference in their frame of frame of reference stable right that's the that's yes the yes but like if that was true then all the like existing payment terminals for crypto for example you currently use essentially your existing currency and then the cash the, the business receives the currency that they want and there's a point of sale transaction that occurs where they convert from one to the other 
um, you could, in theory, like if you want this for any currency, it's not that hard. So I actually disagree with that assessment. I don't think that's really required. It's more about like people actually like using it, and the more people that use it, even if it's on your single-sided um, side of things, right? Like you as a person going out and paying with that, right? That'll actually drive more adoption. Like as much as we like meme on those like payment terminal apps, right? They're garbage. But if you think about it, if if like each of you convinced like one person to use it, you would do a lot more for crypto adoption and crypto value generation than like anything else that we're doing, like even on these Twitter spaces, because you're actually going to be driving value. You're converting actual users. And the other thing is, right, there's a lot of inefficiencies in those systems. So when you start doing that and there's a sizable chunk, right, if it goes from like a million dollars in volume today, 10 years from now, it's like a hundred million dollars in volume that like. 0.3% 0.3% or 0.1% of value lost, right, is going to bring in so many players that will actually want to um, sort of come in and tighten that, those costs to the point where like people actually find value and it actually starts to get widely accepted, right? Yeah, this, you this, can't control this is, others, you can only control yourself. This is exactly why, like, for example, with Adam, um, I tend to like Adam for a lot of reasons. Um, one of those reasons is just like its distribution and kind of, kind of um, you know, the possible future for it and all that. But I also like it because mm, sort of like nobody gives a shit about it. Um, it's it's harder to break something that no one cares about. And if I want all I have to do to acquire um, acquire it as a store of value function is I just simply have to buy it. With an exponential pattern, meaning like the lower it goes, the more I get. But I store, I I don't buy it until, you know, uh, I always have more leftover cash to buy more of it. And then, as long as I buy Adam at the bottom, like for example, this last six months, there was a reasonable bottom. You know, you know, every bit of yield I got off my Adam since then has been essentially a positive cash flow. So I I started going away from the idea of stable coins more. And using unstable coins more uh, rationally, I would say, like the same I did with Bitcoin. So that, there's that's a how correlation between all these assets, right? So yeah, I'm not saying out of that correlation, saying, then you need that stable coin. Yeah, I'm not saying that I, I was get, got Adam to sort of like uh, you know diversify against Bitcoin in terms of price action. I'm just saying like uh, it's it the yield opportunity is interesting. And the lower the price goes, the more people panic sell and do shit. And then the yield is now like 19%, which is badass. So like, you know, a lot of money's flowing in every day or whatever. And I had him and I, I didn't have to do very much for it. Um, so uh, that's, what, you know, and I think, um, you know, even my Luna for that matter, like, you know, I don't, what is it to yield now at 12% or something? I don't know what the number is right now, but point is like, oh, the Luna that I have, is making fair amount of money just on yield every day as well. So even even though I had like um, you know the relative amount of yield for what it's doing is sufficient enough that you know I can pay the bills with it. Make, I make good money off my yield off Luna. So it, it so what the intuition here is the problem is always when did you buy it? And you know uh, with these systems as as long as you have a strategy. I would rather be exposed to something that can go up than a stable. But the the prostitute that I want to pay for, though, she uh, doesn't really accept my unstable thing. So I have to convert that to something that she's willing to take. And if I can get her to convince to take Adam tokens, 
or Luna or Luna Classic for that matter, we're in good shape because now I can just use my yield, you know, pay for my um, frivolity or whatever the fuck, like, you know, just directly. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. So. Um, so, yeah. But, you know, maybe in that context, it's like, well, maybe she'll only take my money if um, like I tell her, like, well, you're not going to get any money if you're not going to take Luna Classic. Right. So now she's like, well, OK, um, you know. I don't know. Maybe she'll like not give me as much time or something. Maybe there'll be like a, some other factor, but anyway, Nicola uh, or uh, Ian, any comments about the <laughs> stable coin discussions? Hi guys. How are you? Hey, what you doing? No, no, I'm all good. I'm actually having that cheeseburger. Um, but I just wanted to ask, um, when is uh, Duquan uh, burning uh, that 1.8 billion UST. How about we start there? That's all I wanted to ask. Actually, I've had nightmares about that. I think it's being distributed, right, rather than burned. I think it's going to reward people to the extent of the death spiral, um, and that's all being calculated now. Yeah, I don't think he's going to. We actually had Doquan on here uh, yesterday. I think it was. We had him join the call, um, so I don't know if he's going to come back later. Maybe he will, but I think his current plan is to distribute it based on on who held during the death spiral. So you'll get a certain amount if you held during week one, and then you'll get even more if you held during week two, and even more still if you held during week three. Like a kind of a loyalty bounty, if you like. I think it's going to work like is, that. Is that worth that two hundred, three hundred million he was talking about? Yeah, the, the LFG. The company. one point. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, no. Then I understand. I guess there's no more burning that then. No, I don't, I don't think Doquan is going to burn him by himself. Um, I think this is <laughs> what is left. But I think it is It is worth, I think if anyone here doesn't know, um, it is worth knowing that, that the latest updates, the staking updates, and uh, everything that has happened lately has been directly approved by TFL. Um, it, it's been, the, the code changes have been approved and merged by them and the, um, the, the staking being enabled uh was an update directly of v v 0.22 um to the, the the tfl nodes um so tfl has helped during this whole process so if anyone is, is still in a state of mind of like demonizing them or something they've directly helped um us do this they've directly helped us implement the staking you know they've 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 helped the community and they've they've done what the community wanted so they're not demons they're not evil they've actually helped us no, definitely, most definitely. I just thought because of that proposal, they're going to do that. I didn't thought that was the reserve, actually. No, I, I'm not I sure. I appreciate what they've done. Not sure what you're talking about exactly. I think the plan with the with the LFG funds left over, the stuff that wasn't tried, that wasn't spent to save the peg, um, was always going to be redistributed to to UST holders, but to actually work this out, given all of the exchanges and all of the information, you know, so many um, diverse places where all the money was, it was quite hard. So they spent the last few weeks working it out, you know, the last few months working it out. And I think they will it now. Um, and then there'll be like a, a site to claim it or something, I think on, on Phoenix, I can't remember. No, nah, no, nah, thanks a lot then, appreciate it. Jerbear, what's going on? Sophie, can I ask you a quick uh, tangential question? Yeah, of oh, course. I was actually going to speak, Coach Bruce. Oh, sorry. Here you were we go. Jerry Bear, go I, ahead. I just wanted to hop on the stage to say what's up because I saw you guys here and I just wanted to you know, say hello. That's all. Hello, Jerry Hello, Jerry uh, Nice to see you again. Yeah, uh, Sophie, you talked a little bit about 
atom being so boring and uninteresting that it is hard to break or hurt. Um, I wondered if the same thing applied to human beings. Do you think some people can be so boring or, or maybe uninteresting that, that they will never get emotionally hurt? And therefore, is that a thing to aim for as a person? Well, I don't know. The, the uh, interrogation techniques that uh, can be used, you can pretty much uh, hurt anybody, I think. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, you, should, like you should always like, prevent yourself from getting broken. But like just being boring or like a stupid person or maybe like lazy or something, that's not going to prevent you from getting hurt. Mm. I mean, as you started speaking, I started wondering, like, who gets heartbroken more? Beautiful people or ugly people, right? Um, I mean, on the one hand, beautiful people attract more people to like them. So there's more potential for heartbreak due, due to like sheer brute force quantity. But at the same time, um, you know, if people are uh by other people, maybe they get hurt less. So well, maybe- it's kind of like it's kind of like really tall people, right? Like if you if you ever think of, think about it, like uh, uh, the people that make it to like age like a hundred or hundred plus, right? They're yeah. oftentimes uh, you know not the tallest people in the room. Like the bigger you are, the harder you fall. Your back gets all fucked up, right? Like yeah. that height ha- it w- was acquired with a cost, and uh, evolution uh, like doesn't let you have like your cake and eat it too. So yeah, if you're if you're too beautiful i think maybe you burn the candle at both ends so like maybe like for example uh you're you're like this really hot dude so you you walk down the street all these women are looking at you they are kind of um you know stroking your ego at, you know with every glance right as you walk down the street you're getting no, looked at look left down and right. knows what you're talking about he knows what you're talking about yeah so he's yeah exactly so you're getting every glance is uh you know, uh, um, you know, supportive of in your case, but then, you know, you start having to use finasteride and, and other products as your hair starts coming out, mm-hmm. you start getting like all worried about this shit now, because now you're not getting the same glances you did last year and the year before. And, you know, there's this like steep decline where you're mentally like, you know, you, you feel like more like a burn victim, uh, than you do like, let's say like a supermodel or some shit, right? Like you're, no, you're just going downhill, right? I think it's, I think it's horrific for, for like, you know, people often envy beautiful girls because obviously when they, when they walk into a room, when they walk into a, a ballroom, um, all the eyes are on them. No one gains more attention and focus than a beautiful girl at her prime. But at the same time, they fall the hardest, right? As soon as they pass age 23, 24, they hit the wall. And then, uh, you know, attentional focus and, and um, the kind of lust and love they gain just, just falls dramatically, um, exponentially, right? It's like a radioactive decay curve, um, 50% per year after 23. I think that is, that is horrible. Um, and yeah, I've been experiencing that. That's why I've turned to finasteride now. It's like I'm trying to hold myself together. It's like um, every hair I lose is, is a kind of a death of my self-identity. Um, and to fight that is taking enormous quantities of money. Um, and it, it's, it's almost like as well that the, the money I have gained by being beautiful does not cover the expenses I now have to maintain my beauty. So I think overall, I would rather be ugly. Yeah, it's very time consuming to like, you know, to fix your hair and maybe like, you know, color it or whatever the fuck, right? Like you got you to spend a lot of effort to comb it and all that. Like take, for example, um, V-shape here, right? Like he doesn't comb his hair. He just wakes up, rolls out of bed. Um, you know, he doesn't have any like fashionable clothing and all that. Nobody gives a fuck about it. So he doesn't like at this point, like if you know, it's only up only from here at that point. 
Whereas, you know, uh, if you take someone like, uh, you know, Grin here in the audience or, who came up as a speaker, like he, he's like a, a much more like Adonis like creature, right? He walks around and there's like uh, little like movie stars and starlets and shit fawning over him. This is, you know, people don't know this, but th he's the reason why um, you, you guys have seen like, you know, previous supermodels, like, I don't know, like a Christy Brinkley or a you know, Paulina or whatever from the eighties. Like they, they come out and they're like 70 and they're wearing bikinis. Are they like, they like 1920s models or something. Yeah. They're trying to show off their bikinis right now. The reason they're doing that is because they're trying to attract grin. Right. Cause he's so hot that he like, he like attracts people from different like time, not zones, but like, like he's like a time traveler. Cause like all the, you know, you know, the, the, the older women feel like they wish they were younger just to sort of be with him. Right. That's that, that kind of, I am ultimately unattainable, but I can't blame people. Look at my plumage. Yeah, you're like what? What is that? Like you're like a little bird or some shit? Like I don't know. Big, big. Yeah. Like, what the? Grin, Grin told me that he married a woman in the the Lunk community. It's it's I don't know. It's quite heartwarming, really, because as Lunk Dow. Obviously, we started this movement to regenerate Lunk and to, to, you know, to, to realize the potential that was still dormant in the blockchain. You know, this fundamental idea that just because everyone has lost a lot of money doesn't mean the, the chain is valueless. But as a result, as a result of creating this community, this focus um, of having all these people gathered together and this shared intent, um, some really beautiful things have, have come out of it, have arisen. And one of those things was the way that certain people have met each other. You know, they began talking online, maybe on our Telegram. I think uh, Grin started speaking to his his now wife in our Lunkdown Telegram. Which wait, he he actually hooked up with that cougar. Yeah, you know the 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 details of this are 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 a little bit muddy, but uh, but yes, my wife truly is uh, somebody who is in the Lunk community. Although that's by virtue of losing a couple thousand dollars she had saved in Alice Finance, and then telling me that um, that I can never invest again. Yeah. Anyway, so she basically just, called you a fucking idiot. Next, now you're just sitting here with us. The curve of for years, I could spend uh, I could spend 18 years with my wife trying to convince her to let me invest some money so we have some savings and so on, and we need to put aside money. And I finally get her interested in it because Alice Finance was so awesome. She could just put some dollars in, and then she watched that that money grow every day. And she's finally like, "Oh my goodness." This money is going up. And then she started to look for ways to put money into Isles Finance. And then it all collapsed within two weeks. Mm. So I guys, think overall, we can summarize maybe. The, guys, the could, you, could you please talk about Anchor Protocol and Mirror Protocol, please? Mm, yeah, maybe, what do you want to know? Maybe in like two minutes, we could do that. I, I just want to end in it. You're getting feedback. Can you mute yourself? Um, I want to end with a little inspiring message. I want to say that. Um, community members and co-investors in a project like Lunk uh, don't have to remain that. They can become lovers. Um, they can become uh, in a long-term relationship or even a marriage. And we've seen that with, with Grin Spicket here. Um, so don't confine your possibilities. Don't imagine that just being here is a way to make money. It's, it's more than that. It's a way to, to find love um, and maybe to get laid too. You know, I was uh, the reason I asked to speak was because I want to spitball with you guys because clearly the biggest brains are here. And the, the people who are asymptotically closest to 100 IQ here, and we're the right people to tackle this issue of the repeg, it seems to me like you just need to incentivize people to lock up a whole lot of UST. 
and gradually it would increase in value. Instead, we're, we're incentivizing people to lock up lunk and they get more lunk. But right now we kind of need it to go the other way. We need UST to have that value. So why can't we construct some sort of a lunk sponge that would entice people to, I mean, not lunk sponge, UST sponge that would entice people to stack their UST to get increasing benefits, perhaps get a greater share of lunk rewards for their lunk stake. That's a good point because like Anchor Protocol not having any lockups was, was one crucial thing of the DPEG, right? So Capital control. Maybe there's, yeah. there's a place for an Anchor 2.0 where there's lock lockups as well. What do you think about that? Yeah, although hey, whether, lung sponge, lung sponge sounds like a birth control device. I don't. It doesn't sound right to me. Well, I was supposed to say UST. So, and sponge doesn't sound as good. Um, but but that's more of what I was thinking about. So, if we could create the oost sponge and give people reasons to hold UST and take it out of circulation, then gradually the price will rise. Other things that might work, like you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to play a video game, and it used to cost a, a quarter to play a video game, and then. I know that there was inflation and stuff going on, but video games still cost a quarter for like a long time. So if you um, created a range of games or any cost a minimal amount of UST, like eventually, and if those were any good, people would want to use it. Um, so there's a lot of possibilities, multi-angles. Yeah, also a little it, bit of value here for you. We have, um, we have LunkDAO Validator obviously running right now. But uh, it might be the case that USTC DAO validator comes out soon. And with the yield from that validator, we may be directed towards either burning lunk or, or directly um, investing in the, the USTC um, regeneration efforts. So uh, I think there are, there are kind of diverse people here who both uh, support lunk, they're purists, they're fundamentalists, they're ideologues. Um, but there are also people who support both, and they're also USTC purists, right? Uh, obviously, there are different kind of people. They they tend to have like you know a different uh, background, a different kind of um, you know penis size and stuff like that. We won't, we won't go into that. Um, you know, clearly there's a reason that they're into USTC. Yo, uh, Dao, just out of curiosity, what are you doing with your USTC rewards? Uh, what do you mean, like the validator commissions or what? Are you? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think right now we just convert them all to Lunk. <laughs> and it, that's, and it why just, that's why I'm asking. That was what I was expecting. Right, right now. But we're, it's, we're it's nice that you're, you're credit, crediting all the USTC whales and stuff. Yeah, I think right now it just goes to Lunk. But I think, yeah, in future we're thinking about we acquired another node, basically. <laughs> so the, the, here's the secret bit if you want to run a node. Uh, there are about 40 nodes now out of service, like offline. They just like the, the founders of them just gave up or maybe they didn't have enough delegations to be to be financially viable or something. So if you just if you just sneakily message these people and say, you know, can I have your node or can I buy your node or can I give you a blowjob for your node? Uh, a lot of them. Will that, say, that, you know, that that's why I was asking your last Twitter space um, what you think about the 20 percent voting power rule and people going around that with acquiring more nodes. Right. A, a different way to do this would be to say, okay, like, who do I have to blow to get UST to repeg, right? Like, what what we're really asking is how, like, what I spend my USDC on mm -hmm. um, that's probably, I mean, like, if you think about it, what do people care about? They care about longevity, they care about sex, they care about, like, 
I don't know, like trees and metaverse shit. The point is like, if you have sufficient amount of incentive, right? You have, let's say a sexual incentive. I think you could repeg USTC that route. That's right. Cause you, as long as you have someone that's willing to accept USTC for like say sexual favors or something like that, um, you could probably repeg it quite quickly, right? I'm gonna choose not to comment this but I respect that you've shared your opinion vulnerably. And I think everyone here appreciates that too. But yeah, regard, regarding the whole vote power thing, I think uh, we can do a few chain parameter changes, right? So we can reduce the, the vote power for each validator because obviously it's changed. It's more concentrated on a few now. Um, we can maybe reduce it to 10 or 5%. Uh, I think what, the do you other- think, what do you think about the proposal of a penalty for having zero commission? Uh, I don't I don't know what that is as a proposal I haven't read but but I think raising the minimum commissions is a good idea I think zero percent is kind of like uh, you know monopolistic pricing um, I've, I've explained this on Twitter a few times right like like let's say there's a small town um, and all the local lovely old shopkeepers are enjoying themselves um, you know selling their potatoes and stuff and then a massive sprawling supermarket comes to the town like a big Walmart or whatever the fuck else um, they have a, a lot of capital reserves. They have a lot of money behind them, so they can afford to underprice for a significantly long period. And and if they do that, they'll bring all the smaller shops out of business, right? So so all the small shops won't be able to compete. They won't be able to lower their prices that much because they don't have um, as big capital reserves. They don't have as much funding behind them, um, as much investment, and they'll all shut down. And then the point is that the the supermarket gains a massive monopoly and can suddenly raise its prices. And and I think you're seeing some of that now, right? Um, some of the 0% validators, they chose it um, as a strategy to operate uh, well under their, their actual costs in order to gain stakers. Um, you see that with, with a lot of the top ones, no names mentioned. Um, and then what happens is they say, oh, well, um, you know, we're going to raise it now <laughs> because, because it makes no sense, obviously, if they don't raise it. The whole point of, of, of uh, doing 0% is a marketing investment that is plus EV to take a loss in the short term in order to gain it in the long term. Um, and, but the effect of this isn't just like, it, it, it's not uh, an innocent thing. Um, it's, it's not just competition. It actually kills the smaller community validators. The guys who are the small fish who truly care about the community, who have more time than money um, and who are maybe some people here or who plan to be in future, uh, they get killed off because it's not viable for them to compete. You know, they need to, to pay out their validator running costs um, in the short term, because they don't have these big reserves of capital from running, you know, thousands of validators across many networks or whatever else, um, so it ends up pretty bad. Um, so I think that. Well, what do you think about what do you think about all nodes announcing today that they will increase commission rates on October first onwards? I mean, I don't know. Like, I think that's that's the end game of any zero percent validator. Um, I think if they're smart, they'll probably make it graduated. They'll be like, oh, we're going to reduce, we're going to increase to 2% now. And then they'll say, oh, we're going to reduce to like, we're going to increase to like 5% and maybe we'll burn some as well. And then it will suddenly like creep up and creep up and creep up and suddenly they'll have higher than locked out. Um, the, the, the thing is, we know that we know that stakers are very sticky, right? I think uh, Sefi, we saw that last time, you know, in, in the old Luna, people tend to delegate and they just forget about it. They don't monitor the changes. They, they, they stake it and then they just forget about it. Um, yeah, it's of, like buying a, it's like a buying uh, selling a gym membership that, to people right. that don't go right. Right, it just it just kind of yeah, you, they're just paying out the direct debit forever without like realizing it. Um, they rely. It's like a the zero percent strategy kind of relies on a degree of amnesia, right? It, it relies on people forgetting it because they just don't up, they don't check they don't check the 
the commission might change 1%. Like how many people really guess or, or check? Not many. Um, they're not doing the research. They just stake initially, seeing something as a good deal. Oh, 0%, that means more money for me. They, they stake and then they just forget about it completely. Um, we saw this in the last, uh, in, in the last incarnation of Luna um, before the crash. Orion uh, promised an airdrop. They, they said, oh, if, if people stake with us, um, they'll get a bigger airdrop. And the airdrop ended up really pathetic. Like it ended up really small and, and just like insignificant. But but the the result was like I think something like I don't know like ten percent odd was still staked with Orion after the airdrop like everyone forgot <laughs> and they just gained a lot and the effect was that also was that like um, when the chain halted Orion earned more than anyone right they had like fifteen percent or something um, so so yeah it, yeah the entire in the entire Orion fiasco pretty much taught us that uh, you know convincing people to uh, validate with you for some sort of perceived service or future gain is more powerful than, uh, say, for example, uh, yeah. we're going to vote your way or some shit, right? Like, um, people don't really care about the voting process so much as about making money. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on the not percent. My thoughts, Jeff, like, solutions. Can you meet yourself, PB? Well, the, the, the most important question is, can you mute yourself, please? Hold on. So, so I just want to summarize. So, so solutions-wise, you can raise the minimum commission, which allows uh, the smaller validators to make a, a secure earning and, and kind of reduces that that underpricing competitive edge. And and the other part of it is just education, right? Like, like what are validators doing with the naught percent thing? Do you understand that it's a marketing strategy? Do you understand that it costs money to run validators? Um, and do you understand that the effect of of delegating with these these big cats, these big fish? Uh, means that the smaller ones, the, the community members with, with more time and more focus dedicated directly to Lunk end up dying off. Exactly. Uh, and it's also about decentralization, right? Decentralization equals security of a blockchain. So Yeah, yeah. What the question what decentralization is, achieves. Yeah. Yeah, the question is how do we get there from the current state? Well, I think like for this topic you could you could lower the, the max vote percentage like to ten percent or something to start with. Um, and you could also raise the the minimum commissions to about two point five percent, and I think that's that's better done sooner than later, so people are aware of it, and they can maybe redelegate, and and you know we stop this kind of zero percent like swallowing everything fiasco. I like that idea. I think Nicolo's been yeah. waiting to uh, throw some comments up. So there's got a big dick. Okay, <clears throat> how much uh, do you propose to be burned? You're at the 1.2, I believe. How much do you think that will be burned eventually throughout the year with Terra Luna Classic? Any mm. guess? How much do you think will be burned if the 1.2% tax is implemented over yes. a year? I'm just, I'm just a schmuck who has privilege to speak. And I, the more that I go towards the 1.2% becoming reality, I'm, the more I'm thinking that it could kneecap um, some of the excitement and growth that we've had in the community because it's going to be really, 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 really hard to get any of the uh, sexes to, well, I don't hate, I hate saying sex is too sexy. I, I getting the sexes to follow along because it doesn't really benefit them. Um, and it, it, it's a tax on transactions. So I'm worried it could slow down uh, on chain use cases that the, probably the best way to increase the value of long can UST is to get people to use it for stuff. And if you throw in a 1.2% fee on every transaction, there's going to be less arbitrage. There's going to be less 
gridding. There's going to be less um, money market making. Yeah, controversial. Uh, we, we talked about that earlier. Personally, was, personally, I don't really give a fuck. Personally, I don't really give a fuck about the 22 percent tax. It's kind of like only. Um, I think that the, the the main priority is like think one, two, five years in future. Like, how can we really create life in this chain? Like, real economic activity and a real higher purpose. Um, that's going to achieve far more than just like this 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 narrative concept of burning. If we are going to direct a percentage of, of transaction to something, I think it should go towards like a validator rewards pool um, so we can at least keep the chain running um, over the longer term because the current Oracle rewards pool only has about 1.5 years of, of, out, of, uh, of validator rewards and then, and then we're basically dried up. So, so the main task right now is to create sustainable ways of, of getting the validators rewards and to create real economic activity. No, I, w- I would disagree, to be honest. We have one and a half years to sort the problem out out of um, re-enabling the swapping function somehow that would uh, fund the Oracle pool. So we have one and a half years for, for that to happen. And um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go for that. I would rather go for um, using funds for the community pool for, uh, for transaction taxes to go to the community pool to onboard new, new utility, basically, I'd say. Yeah, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is like to di- rather than the 1.2% tax directed towards things that actually help the future of the chain and like the economic activity. Part of that is is the pool for for proposals. Anyone can can start a proposal to to build something or to do whatever. Um, and the other part of it is just keep the fucking thing running by um, sustaining the validator rewards pool. Um, but I think if we find a higher purpose, like a a higher meaning to to Lunk, then it keeps going. Um, I don't think the 1.2% tax achieves that. And you remember how fun it was, like staking Luna and getting all kinds of random tokens and stuff for free. And there's some of that in the Cosmos ecosystem aside from that. But you get more protocols. You, you drop the protocol tokens to people so that they get a taste to use those protocols and they get excited and they get more invested in the ecosystem. And gradually you build value back up. And the 1.2 only burns it, uh, and then there's nothing to do with your Luna. Or your lunk or your ust it's it's kind of it doesn't really change our status quo too much yeah you also have to weigh up like how much does it really reduce um economic activity i don't know um i don't if, do you have any thoughts about that Sophie? like like what's the over well uh grin's point about like central exchanges not being interested in these is pretty much a certainty um it's it's part of the reason why you didn't see you know like the binance shitcoin network of coins doing that had all these weird burn mechanisms uh almost i don't think any of them got um that i know of got listed on centralized exchanges in any serious manner so there's that um as far as uh yeah like what's the best way to bring value back to the chain i think it depends like you know is luna classic supposed to be kind of like a fun meme chain is it supposed to be um you know is there supposed to be like specific uh economic activities going on on the thing or what right i don't know uh what the the vision is and who's putting that together like who's going to spin up this narrative is it like uh the rebels is it like mm. who exactly yeah, i think i heard that cz i think that, it's, uh, owns 40 percent of terra luna are you talking about the the binance hot wallet or what yeah, it's probably talking about the Binance wallet. I don't think CZ personally owns any. 
I think there's a myth going around that CZ owns half the supply, and like if we could only burn it, then then we'd all be saved. Uh, I wonder who could have perpetuated that myth. Yeah, but coming back, coming back to my, my earlier questions, right? My earlier question: whether that tax burn would plummet transaction volume. What do you, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Wait, re- repeat that again. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was part one of the two-part CFI LunkDAO project update space, recorded on Tuesday, August 30th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Wake it up like a basement dweller Stepped out the door and heard racist yelling 2020, what an ugly shit show Staring at the fucking Rick Roll from the get-go Looking outside, the whole state's on fire The fuck do you expect when you embrace the liars And replace the writers with AI just like us Emaciated models killing bright birds First in, last out, picture me rolling The worst time to cash out, so what you holding? The Merc's gonna cash cow, country stolen Drooling over chicken like the goose is golden Trying to be so full, spitting that molten Lava from the bottom of the caldera I'm hot and gonna put it in a bottle And offer it to the god who hit the gas full throttle Blasting off in a rocket The many people who will, will see things happen to them That are in their favor Until someone's looking over me that's a, that's a fascinating phenomenon when that happens. And what, when you analyze those situations, what you find is, is that we as humans simply have a profound inability to understand statistics and probability. Stitching these writings, living that life like Who would have guessed you turn out this nice, right? Avoiding stress, that's the motherfucking secret Print that shit on a motherfucking leaflet I'm just an asshole hooked on the bricks Looking at the rectangles, damn they kinda thick We've gone through a whole lot of kings here Cutting off heads just to bring cheer Getting all fired up, Tiger King, line them up When you give an arm and a leg just to try the junk On some first time buyer's luck Alexa, set a reminder and remind me to buy a bunch And put your hands up if you fuck this year And keep them in the air if you're picking up the spare And put your mask on just to go outside Looking at the planet about to downsize So climate change will not make Earth Basically, every other coastal city that we've spent thousands of years building uh, in the, since the dawn of civilization. Ten spaces. <laughs>